So we're uh, walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I do hope uh, this has been a challenging uh, and encouraging uh, series uh, for you. We just entitled it, I Want to Live, uh, under the belief, more than an assumption, that there are too many of us who are just surviving life, trying to make it from moment to moment, day to day, season to season. And I just think God has more for you, more for me, more for us than just surviving. And so we've been walking through Jesus actually preaching to us. This is a message that he preached a few thousand years ago to a few thousand people. And this would be a message that they would have heard and utterly been rocked by. Uh, Last week, um, uh, Jesus made very clear, he said, do not worry. Uh, That was the challenge that and the command that he gave to uh, the people that were listening to him. And this week, if you have a Bible, uh, you can open up to Matthew 6, um, or Matthew 7, actually. We made it to Matthew 7. This is uh, the, the message that Jesus preached to them and is preaching to us today. It says, verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. It's a good verse. I'll read it again. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, which is really a log or a beam, um, pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me uh, take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. And then he goes on to verse 6, and this will make a little bit more sense when we get there. But Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you uh, to pieces. Let me uh, pray, and then we're going to walk through um, what I think is a pretty challenging, convicting uh, statement up front in verse 1. Do not judge. He said last week, do not worry, and then this week he says to us, do not judge. Father God, I pray that uh, uh, all of us here today would just be uh, encouraged and challenged and blessed and convicted Uh, where we need to be. God, I just pray our hearts would be completely open uh, to what you have to say to us today. And Jesus, I pray that we would just know that every single person in here would be absolutely convinced of your great love, of your great mercy and forgiveness and compassion uh, for us as seen in your son, Jesus. I give thanks that Jesus preached uh, this message known as the Sermon on the Mount. I give thanks that He preached what we need to hear, not what we wanted to hear. And so God, open our hearts, open our minds to receive what you would be speaking uh, to us today, that we would be different uh, because we heard from you today uh, in this place. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Do not worry, do not judge. If you were just to think, if you took out worry from your life and you took out judging, meaning judging our thoughts uh, are often consumed with judging other people. If you were to take out how much time you spend in worry and how much time you spend judging other people, how much time would you have left in your day? 
I'm venturing to guess that many of us would get more than half of our day back because we spend so much time in worry, anxiety, as we talked about last week, and we spend so much time judging, meaning being critical of other people. And I'll explain what Jesus is talking about, what it means to be judgmental. Question, and be honest, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are experts at judging other people? See, I can't really see your faces right now because it's pretty bright, but I hope you have a little bit of a smirk on your face because you're thinking, yeah, I'm actually pretty good at it. All of us would have to say we are experts at judging other people because we do it all the time. I mean, just think of your day so far. We judge people for the most ridiculous things of what they look like and what they wear and what their hair looks like, what shoes they have on. We judge people from where they've come from and where they've been and what they're doing. We just judge people left and right uh, for small things, big things, and everything in between. Uh, And we do it so often and so quickly, we are constantly, continually judging people, okay? Point being is, I, I don't think I have to work too hard to convince you, all of us do it. It's funny, uh, have you ever heard people talk about, we don't like, we don't ever say, yeah, I'm just going to go out and judge some people. And so what we say is, I'm going to go out, I'm people watching. Really? Just people watching. Are you just admiring humanity as they walk by you and, and thanking God for every single person and saying, God bless that person? We don't want to come out and say, I'm just going to go out and have a, a judgment fair and fest and party. I'm, I'm just going for a walk with my best friend, my spouse, and we're, we're just, we really enjoy people watching. We sit in the park and on a bench, we just watch people. We go to the mall and we, just, we watch people. No, we judge people. Did you see that person over there? Did you see what they look like? Did you, we're just so judgmental of anyone and everyone. If we do that to other people, somewhere along the lines, you have to think, gosh, that's probably happening to me. There's probably a list of people who just are always continually judging me because I'm continually judging people. And again, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'm going to guess that many of us have been on a very hurtful end of being judged, uh, where someone judged you ruthlessly and harshly, and the pain that that caused you. And it's amazing to me that We know the pain of what it's like to be judged, but yet that doesn't stop us from judging people. We just, we do it so often and so much. Maybe start with a dream. Can you imagine, can you dream, so to speak, of what your life, could you actually envision your life being completely free of being judgmental? Could you imagine actually having relationships with people and knowing people, being with people, and actually not having a judgmental attitude, not having a judgmental thought cross your mind? Is it even possible? Can you envision a life where you just don't judge people? That's just not you. It's just not what you do. I think it's actually possible. I can honestly say I have not attained that yet. This morning I was at Dunkin' Donuts picking up some munchkins and they messed up my order, and I'm sitting there looking at the lady. It's just two boxes of munchkins. How, how difficult is it for you to punch in the buttons? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wow, you're about to go preach a message on judgment, and you're totally judging this woman who's working at Dunkin' Donuts right now for, it's ridiculous. I didn't think about doing that. I didn't like plan, premeditate doing that. 
It just happens so quickly. But I honestly believe that we can live a life completely judgment-free. And I believe that primarily for two reasons, because Jesus said, don't judge. Um, And I think when you look at the life of Jesus, he actually did that. Um, And I honestly think there's also no joy in being a judgmental person. So my judgment on judgmental people is that they are not very joyful people because they are just stuck in their own judgmental mind of always criticizing and critiquing and being critical of anyone and everyone around them. And there's just no joy in being a judgmental person. It's actually very lonely and very miserable. So I guess a good question to start with is, why? Why do you judge people? This is my very quick six reasons of why I think uh, I judge people and ultimately why I think we judge people. First one is, we're insecure. We're so insecure with who we are, so we judge other people as a way to make us feel better about ourselves. We can always find someone who's a little bit lower down on the ladder, and if we just look down just long enough, I can feel a little bit better about myself. So I judge people primarily because I'm insecure with myself. Second, I think we judge people because our vision is very skewed, is very messed up, meaning we don't look at people as people who bear the same image that I do and that you do. Meaning we don't look at people and say, that is a fellow image bearer of God. I really think if we actually saw people, whoever they were, no matter their background, no matter where they're from and what they've done, as people who are, bear the same image of God on their life that I do, how could I possibly judge them? But I think we do because we have a very skewed vision of humanity, of how we look and see people. Uh, third reason, we think we're better than everyone else. We judge people because ultimately, at the end of the day, we think we are better than everyone else. Now, we don't walk around, you know, just touting that and be like, I am the best, I am the greatest. Because we couldn't say that because everyone would judge us as the most prideful, arrogant person. So in our thoughts, we think, in conversations, we think about how much better, smarter, wiser, better looking, you know, more talented, more gifted, whatever it is, we, at the end of the day, just think so highly of ourselves. I'll look at this verse later, but Paul says, why are you so drunk on yourself? You have such an inflated view of you. And Paul says, be sober. When you think about yourself, be sober, don't be drunk. Number four, uh, so insecure, our vision skewed. We think we're better than everyone else. And number four is it's a way of controlling people. If I judge you, if I put you in a box, if I label you, categorize you, it's my way of controlling you. And ultimately, we control people to kind of keep them at a distance. I can interact with you when I want to and draw you close when I want want that as well. So we we judge people as a way of controlling people. Two more. I think we like it. I just, at the end of the day, I think we like it. There's a reason we do it so much. We find some sort of sick, twisted but we find some sort of comfort from it. Similar to number one of being insecure, I can just always find someone else to look at and, well, at least I'm not as jacked up as that guy. At least I'm not as messed up as that individual. 
at least I don't have as many issues, we can always find someone to look at just to make ourselves feel a little bit better about us. So we find comfort. We like it. Last one, no one questions or disagrees with us, which is awesome. I hold court in my own mind. No one else is allowed in. Like, there's no one to disagree with me and tell me, Michael, that's not a good judgment on that person. That's wrong. You're wrong. Why? Because it's all in my mind. You don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. You hold court all by yourself. And we like it that way. So one last reason is there's no one to question or disagree with my judgment of you or my judgment of a situation or circumstance. And the beautiful thing about holding court by yourself where no one else knows what's going on in your mind is you can change your standards for how you judge at any given moment. You make up the rules. These are six quick thoughts, reasons of why I think we love to judge people. Grocery stores. Classic place where people are judging other people. How many times have you been to a grocery store and you're standing in line and you're looking at the person in front of you thinking, are you an idiot? Like, what is wrong with you? Can you please speed up? And they're fumbling through stuff and in your mind, you are just totally slamming the person for how inept they are. Have you ever had the thought, as you are doing that to the person in front of you, that the person behind you might be doing the very same thing to you? It's, this is not completely new, but the self-checkout aisles, you know, if you've ever gone to those aisles and you're watching people and you're like, just scan the barcode, it's pretty simple. And then the little red light goes off and you're like, oh my gosh, now I have to wait and the manager has to come and... And then you're like, just watch how I do it. And then you get up, and you're like, dang it, it doesn't work for me either. <laughs> and then the person behind you is looking at you thinking, there is so much stupidity in front of me. How do we get off this merry-go-round of just judgment? We're all on it. We all do it to the person in front of us, and the person behind us doing it to us. We just go round and round and we just continue to judge and be judged, judge and be judged. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, real quick, Jesus is not saying that we should never have any opinions and we should never take a stance uh, against injustice or or evil, or sin. He's not telling us that we should be indifferent. Uh, in a few weeks, and even actually today, Jesus makes clear that we need to be discerning. We need to make judgments on false teachers or false prophets that would lead us or lead the church astray. Meaning, Jesus teaches that we need to make judgments. But there's a difference of the type of judgments that Jesus is talking about and being a wise or discerning person. Sincerious. You know what that word means? A censorious person. This is what that definition, judgment, or a censorious person. To judge someone, when you read this, I want you to be honest with yourself and be like, is that describing me? Because this is the judgment that Jesus is calling us 
not to do, not to be like this. So as you read that and listen to that, just ask, is that actually describing me? Censorious, to judge someone harshly, a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys seeking out uh, others' failings, one who is ungenerous towards others' mistakes. Does that describe you? I certainly know it describes me. To judge someone harshly, to be that person you're always finding fault, it doesn't matter if they're above you or below you, you'll always be able to find someone to judge or to be a critic of. That last, uh, to be ungenerous, meaning when people make mistakes or they fall, whatever it might be. A generous person would meet them with grace and forgiveness and mercy and encouragement, but a judgmental, a censorious person is one who quietly claps to themselves. They're getting what they deserved. I knew it was coming. I told myself in my head that was going to happen to them. They deserve it. Some might say, well, in my judgments, I'm not like that. I'm just the guy. I'm just the woman. I'm just being honest. I'm just saying it like it really is. So I'm not the judgmental type. I'm just really honest, speaking my mind, letting people know what's on my mind, and I'm speaking truth, so I can't be that person. Before you continue to be the one who just speaks truth and speaks your mind and lets the world know what you think and and why you think it, and that's really just meaning before you continue to judge people negatively, harshly, looking for things to find fault in others, consider the following. Judging others is not a struggle. I said this last week. Worry is not a struggle. It's a sin. Okay? Judgment. When we are doing this, when we are fault-finding, critiquing, celebrating people's mistakes, judging others harshly, that is sin. Okay? Judgment is not a struggle that we have. It's a sin we commit. One more time. Judgment is not a struggle that I have in my life. What I just did to that person at Dunkin' Donuts in my mind as I judged her for making a mistake on a silly order, that was a sin that I committed. I don't struggle with it. I commit sin every time I judge. So every time I cast judgment on someone, I've just cast judgment upon myself because it's a sin and I will be judged accordingly for that sin. Jesus, number two, says, he makes very clear, in the same way you judge other people, that same measuring stick, it's going to be used on you. How do you like that? Like, at the end of the day, would you ever pray a prayer that goes something like this? Dear God, please judge me as I have judged my fellow man. None of us would ever pray such a prayer because our judgment of fellow man is harsh. It's not filled with grace and mercy and compassion. We would never pray that. If God judged me as I judged other people, and if God judged you as you judge other people, we'd all be leveled. We would be absolutely, utterly ruined and crushed because 
We don't give grace in our judgment. This is uh, James, brother of Jesus, says this. James 4.12, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, this is a great question, who are you to judge your neighbor? Like that's a verse you have to read real slow and sit with the question, yeah, who am I? Because there has to come a point when you say, I'm not him, I'm not the Savior, meaning I'm not the Messiah, meaning I'm not God, so who am I as fellow sinner to cast my judgment on another sinner? Paul says this in Romans, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. So judging others is not a struggle, it's a sin. Jesus makes clear how we judge other people is how we will receive that same judgment, the same measuring stick. And then number three of pointing out this question, before you pass judgment, consider this. You're, you're not God. None of us are God. Now, I know we don't walk around, you know, with this attitude of I'm God and that's... I know we don't say that, but when we're judging people, we're taking the place of God. We're playing putting ourselves in the judgment chair, and there's already a judge who sits in that chair, and it's not you, and it's not me. Jesus. Everyone knows John 3.16. I won't assume everyone knows it, but it's a pretty famous, popular verse. I love John 3.17 just as much as I love John 3.16. When Jesus, uh, or it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn And that word condemn is the same word uh, as judge in Matthew 7, 1, okay? God did not send his son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So when Jesus sends you and I out on mission, the mission was never go judge slash condemn people. The message that Jesus gave to the disciples, which gave to us, Go talk about the gospel. Go talk about God's love. Go preach that message. Go show that message. Go demonstrate that message. That message is not seen in judgment. It's seen in grace. This is um, a story in the gospel of John um, that I love because it illustrates uh, a community of people that found a woman who was absolutely caught in sin. She was caught literally physically sleeping with another man in the act of adultery. And so this crowd, this community, brings this woman out for judgment. And they're about to throw stones at her to kill her until Jesus shows up. Verse 7 of John chapter 8. He asks a very profound question slash statement. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first. You be the first. If you are without sin in your life, you go ahead, you be the first one to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down and he wrote something on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. I think there's a distinction there because as you get older, hopefully you're growing in a little bit more humility. Meaning you're aware that you're not all that. You're growing in an awareness of 
the sin that Jesus is talking about. The older ones first until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, you were about to die. Look around you. It's just me and it's just you. He asks a great question, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she utters these words, no one. No one threw a stone. That one question leveled everyone. When you throw a stone of judgment, ask yourself that question. Let that replay in your head. Who of any of us is without sin? And whoever can say, yes, I'm without sin, you go ahead and you be the first one to cast your judgment and throw your stone of condemnation at this individual. Jesus says to her uh, in verse 10, 11, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you get the irony here? The only person that was still left with this, per- with this woman was Jesus because he was without sin. He was the only person who had the right to still be standing there with a stone in his hand saying, I, I'm here, I have got no sin in my life, and I could throw a stone at you right now and kill you. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's a simple question, but I think helpful. If Jesus didn't throw a stone, then why are you? If the only one in all of humanity who had the right to throw a stone because he was without sin, if he did not throw a stone of judgment, condemnation, why am I? Who, who do I think I am that I can start throwing stones at people with my judgments, my condemnation on other people? I'm no one. I'm not Jesus. If Jesus didn't throw it, then why do I? Uh, before I go on to um, the next part of the verse, uh, I wanted to hopefully be practical and give some things that I think uh, have certainly helped me uh, in growing from repenting, I should say, of not being a judgmental person. And these are things that I hope would be helpful to you. Learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. We judge people so quickly and we don't even know them. We judge people so quickly and we don't even know their story. Have you ever been in a grocery store and there's been a mom or a dad and their kid is just throwing a fit on the floor? And you walk by and you're like, man, that parent, they're terrible at parenting. Why don't they do something with that kid? Why don't they smack him or pick him up? And, you know, we cast this judgment on that parent because their kid is absolutely freaking out. And then we cast judgment on that kid for his temper tantrum that he's having. Would it change your opinion at all if behind that little temper tantrum there was a story? And the story was this. There was a father who was literally had just left a funeral of his wife. And he took his kids to the grocery store to get some food to bring home for all the people that were coming to mourn his wife. And his kid was on the floor because he's so sad about it, the death of his mom. Would that change your opinion at all? Would you look at that kid and be 
have compassion if you actually knew the story? I think if we just would learn to give people the benefit of the doubt and not rush to make some knee-jerk judgment that they are the worst parent that has ever existed, and that's the worst child that's ever been created, if we would just learn to give people the benefit of the doubt and not be so quick. How many people have ever been cut off in a car? Meaning some dude just, you know, didn't let you in or, you know, just totally cut you off on the highway or wherever you were driving. And you're, what a jerk. That was your first thought. Would it change your mind at all if you found out that that person was rushing off to a job interview because they haven't had a job in six months and they were running late? Isn't there something in you that would say, oh my goodness, go ahead, you go, get to your interview. We just, people do things, say things, they inconvenience us somehow, some way, and we just make these knee-jerk judgments. It's been helpful to me just learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. This lady at Dunkin' Donuts. It could have been her very first day on the job and she was nervous as all get out and pressed a wrong button. Learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. Jesus did this for you and he did this for me. He is on a cross, bloodied, half his back torn off from being flogged, nails through his wrist and his feet, people cursing him, mocking him. And this is what Jesus says on the cross as a prayer. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Is it possible that when someone hurts you, wrongs you, offends you, cuts you off, inconveniences you, rather than offering some judgment of condemnation that they are the worst person ever, you could just say, God, I just want to pray for them. Not a prayer of condemnation, like, I hope they get in a car accident, or I hope they learn how to take some parenting classes. No, I, God, just bless them. They don't know what they're doing, and I'm okay with that. Bless them. Second is, first is learn to be, give people the benefit of the doubt. And the second one is similar, uh, but learn to be an empathetic person. Meaning, just put yourself in someone else's shoes every once in a while. Uh, two years ago, I was in a car accident where I messed up my back a lot. Ten slip discs. Before I got hurt, I would meet people who told me, yeah, I have a hurt back and I can't help you with that. I'm like, you're a wuss. Suck it up. How bad could it be? I mean, I was cruel in my judgment on people, you ever been to a place where you're helping someone move and there's always someone conveniently who's like, yeah, I can't lift that because, yeah, bad back. And you're like, oh my gosh, suck it up, take some pain meds and move on with life. <laughs> I was that guy until my back was so bad I couldn't even stand up. Now, when someone tells me they have any type of nerve pain back, neck, whatever it might be, my heart goes out to him because I know what it's like. And it's one of those weird things, you can't see it. To you, I might look completely normal, relatively healthy, very strong, right? And um, <laughs> could move a mountain maybe. But that little 
bag of Dunkin' Donuts was pretty stinking heavy today. Learn to empathize with people. You might not have that pain, but be an empathetic person. Bill Murray, you've seen maybe some of his movies. And uh, that's Bill Murray. Not from uh, some of his earlier movies, mind you. But um, this is what Bill Murray said. And uh, as far as I know, Bill Murray's not a guy who uh, has, knows God, has confessed Jesus. Um, but this is what Bill Murray said. Life can be very painful. Everyone has the same burdens, and however much you can share those burdens makes life easier for everybody. It's lonely otherwise. Every moment that you, are, you share someone else's pain, feel what they feel, makes you more human. This is the part of the quote I want you to hear. I went through a lot of pain in my divorce. It made me feel empathy for people I don't even like because they're going through it. I grant them all the slack I can. He looks at people, and I don't even like them, but I know their pain, and I can empathize with them. You don't need to know someone, and you don't even need to like someone to be empathetic towards them. People who have gone through a divorce know it's horrific. And the most sympathetic, empathetic people to people who have gone through divorce are not married people, they're divorced people. Why? Because they've been there. They've felt that pain, they've lived that pain. I want to encourage you and myself, all of us, give people the benefit of the doubt, be an empathetic person, and then I mentioned this earlier, but start thinking less of yourself. And I don't mean start thinking, have a really low self-opinion of yourself, just stop thinking of yourself so much. That's what I mean by less. This is what I alluded to earlier. Paul says in Romans 12, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. I've already talked about that. Don't be drunk when you think of yourself. Have a very high, inflated, infatuated view of you. The drunker you are on yourself, the more judgmental and critical you will be of everyone else because no one is as good as you. Paul says, sober up. With the measure of God's grace that he's given you, think of yourself in light of God's grace, which is humbling, which is very humbling. Learn to give people the benefit of the doubt. Learn to be empathetic. Pursue a sober view of myself. Then Jesus goes on the back half of this passage, and he talks about having eye surgery. And uh, this is, if you didn't think Jesus was funny, people in the crowd would have laughed at this. You don't have to laugh at this, but it's pretty funny. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Play actors what hypocrite means. First, take the plank out of your own eye, 
and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus asks a great question. Why do you look at something so small? Sawdust, a piece of sawdust. Why do you look at that in someone else's life when in your own life, you've got a piece of lumber, a beam, a huge log sticking out of your eye? How could you possibly look at someone else who's got a speck and you've got a log in your own eye? Our answer to that would be, what plank are you talking about? <laughs> I got no plank. That would be our response is, that's not, to, that's not me. Jesus says we've got a plank in our own eye. How does Jesus know that we have a plank in our eye? Because we judge people. If you judge people, you got a huge plank in your eye called judgment. I don't know if you have noticed this, but my hairline up here is getting, you know, pretty thin. Okay? I would liken this, my thinning hairline, it would be like someone who's got one of those uh, comb-overs that might look something like this. <laughs> you know, or there's another one. Uh, I like this guy, okay? Don't judge him. Do not judge him. It would be like a dude coming up to me with a comb-over and be like, wow, you are bald. And I'd look at him, dude, you got a comb over. I'm receding a little bit, I'm thinning, but a comb over guy would look at, at me and be like, my gosh, you're completely bald. And how could you not see that you don't have any hair? What are you talking about? Like 10 strands does not count as hair. Why is it so easy to see sin in other people, but we're so blind to it ourselves? It's so easy to see sin in others. And this is my very profound answer. You ready for this? Of why it's so easy to see sin in others? It's because you're a sinner. The only reason that I can identify someone who is a hypocrite or a fake or a fraud, someone who's lying, manipulating, a deceiver, is because it's, I see it in myself. The only reason I can recognize any of that is because I see those things in me. Sin has an amazing way, a unique way of doing three things. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but sin has a way of doing these three things. It changes our focus, meaning we're great at spotting it in everyone else, but we have a very difficult time. It prevents us from looking within. Judgment is always looking outward, never looking inward. Have you ever noticed how everything that's wrong in your world is someone else's fault? It's always someone else's fault. Why? Because you're always looking out, and sin has us keeping looking out at other people as a way to us avoid us examining or looking within ourselves. Sin has deceives us into thinking that we are just not as bad as we think we are. I mean, it, we rationalize sin. 
I'm just not as bad as that person over there. This was a horrific prayer that a pastor prayed in the Gospel of Luke. To some, chapter 18, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself. This was his prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And then he looks up from his prayer. And like that guy over there. I thank God that I'm not like him. Can you imagine ever praying that? I thank God that I'm not like any of you. I fast twice a week. He gives his resume. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be be exalted. I realize that we don't walk around and verbalize that out loud. I think I'm better than you. I thank God I'm not like that person. But I'd venture to say we think it a lot. Sin has an amazing way of getting us to think, I'm not as messed up as that person. So we lose our focus, meaning always outward, never inward. And then I think ultimately at the end of the day, sin completely blinds us. And this is the imagery. You stick a log in your eye, you'll be blind. And a great story example in Scripture of how someone could be so blinded to their sin, so clueless to their sin. Anyone want to take a guess who I'm thinking about? Absolutely blinded to his horrific, evil sin. Had no clue. King David. The guy sees a woman bathing. He looks at her and says, I must have her. I'm the king. I deserve her. Sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, manipulates a situation so her husband's away at battle, gets him to come home so that he can sleep with his wife and it will all be good and no one will ever know. The husband is such a man of character and integrity and says, how could I be sleeping with my wife when all my men are at battle right now? And so he doesn't. And so David doesn't like that, and so he gets him drunk. Surely, if this guy drinks enough, he'll lose his senses and see his wife and say, yes, I will enjoy. He doesn't. So David then concocts a plan, sends a message in Uriah's hands, saying, put him on the front lines. And then when the other enemy attacks and charges, everyone withdraw and leave him there by himself. This is what David did. This is King David, God's chosen anointed man to lead, to love, to serve the people. Absolutely clueless that this is not a good idea. I think he actually knew this was sin, but this is what sin does. It completely blinds us to our own sin. So God sends David a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan comes to David and tells David a story. Hey, David, I got a story for you. There's a rich man and there's a poor man. And the rich man 
had a good friend. Poor man had nothing, absolutely nothing. He had a little baby lamb. That's all he had. This guy, thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs. But this rich guy had a visitor come to town, and he didn't want to take from his own thousands of lambs. So he went to his neighbor, the poor dude, and he took his only one lamb. David hears a story, and this was his reaction. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this, he deserves to die. You take one lamb, you deserve to die. We're talking about a lamb. No offense to lambs. We're talking about a lamb. We're not talking about impregnating another man's wife, getting him drunk, lying, covering up, and then killing him. We're talking about a lamb. He goes on. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then this was his moment of awakening. Nathan looked at him. David, it's you. You're the man. I can't imagine just the scales fell off his eye when his sin was revealed to him by someone else. I'm that guy. The guy that I just condemned and judged and said he should die because he took some other guy's lamb. I'm the one because that's exactly what I've done. God's given me everything. And I took and I grabbed. I lied. I manipulated. I covered up. And ultimately, I killed This was David's sin being revealed to him. And I love what it, it took someone else revealing David his sin. And then once the sin was revealed, I do love David's response in verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. There's no excuses. There's no trying to further cover it up. There's got to come a point in time in our lives where we just put our stuff on the table. I have sinned against God. No covering it up, no making excuses, no fabricating ridiculous stories to somehow make your sin not seem so bad by looking at someone else's sin. There has to come a point in your life where you just say, I have sinned against God, period. That's it. No lies, no stories, no nothing behind it. I have sinned against God. I don't know if you've reached that point yet, but if you haven't, then you've got a plank still logged in your eye. And you will never experience the mercy, grace, forgiveness, compassion, love that God has for you because you got this beam called sin, called judgment, just lodged in your eye. I don't know, today, Let today be the day you just put your stuff on the table and say, I've sinned against God. And I'm not talking about like your sinner's prayer. This is a prayer that we need to pray often. I sinned against that lady at Dunkin' Donuts because I judged her for making a mistake and not moving quickly enough for me. That is sin. That's not a struggle. I can't rationalize that away. That was cruel. That was mean. Nathan came to David and said, you're the man. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. What if you don't know if you actually have a plank? Some of you might actually be thinking, uh, okay, 
yours, Michael, is clearly this big. Mine is, is like this. Not a speck, bigger than a speck, but it's like this. I met with the life group leaders on Friday night, and I challenged them and encouraged them to do this. Ask someone you trust in your life to examine your life and ask them, what do you see when you see me? What do you see when you look at my life? Do you see lies, manipulation? Do you see deception? Do you see lust? Do you see greed? Do you see bitterness? Do you see anger? Do you see worry? Do you see, what do you see when you look at me? Have the courage to go to someone and say, would you please examine, help me examine my life. Why? Because I have blind spots. Why? Because sometimes the plank is so big, my vision is so messed up I can't see, and it takes a Nathan coming into my life to say, that's you. That's you. If you're married, your spouse, have the courage to ask your spouse, honey, how do you see me? You live with me. You see my junk daily. What do you have to say about me? And this is not like free reign to take up a bat and just kill someone. This is to in lovingly speak just truth into their life that they would see rightly so that the plank could be removed and they could confess to God what needs to be confessed. I'm going to uh, pick up with... Um, uh, the next verse and a few verses after that uh, next week. I'm just going to leave us uh, with those five verses. And I will leave with the question, is it really possible to go through life not judging other people? Because I want to know the guy who said this, being Jesus, did he actually do it? Did Jesus actually navigate his way through life, not being a censorious person, a judgmental, condemning person. And a story that I think answers this question strongly is Jesus picked 12 guys to follow him, 12 guys to train and equip him, equip them. He knew one named Judas would betray him. He knew that in advance, but he picked him anyways. And after three years of living with Judas, walking with Judas, sharing meals with Judas, in his final meal, the day before Jesus is going to go and be crucified, murdered, he tells his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And this is the disciples' response in Luke chapter 22, verse 23. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be. And who would do this? Do you notice no one like be like, I, I, I'm, I'm putting my money on Judas. I see the way Jesus talks to him, ignores him. I see the way that Jesus kind of keeps him off at a distance, speaks harshly, looks at him funny. No one looked at Judas and pegged him. It's you. I see what Jesus, how he treats you. No one had a clue as to who it was. For three years, Jesus loved Judas just like he loved James, Peter, John, Andrew, it is possible for us to go through life not judging being a sincerious person towards other people. Why? Because Jesus did it. And so the question is, how can I do it? I'll leave you with this. The gospel-centered life. 
Will you allow the gospel to flow through you to other people? I love that our entire church right now is focused on this one question. How can I live a gospel-centered life? If you're not in a life group, get in a life group now so you can begin walking through and examining this question. How can I live with the gospel at the center of my life flowing through me? If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we are commanded. It's not just a good idea. We're commanded not to judge other people. And the only way that I leave, repent, walk away from my life of judgment is to let the gospel flow through me as God is flowing it into me. Meaning, I give grace. I give love, forgiveness, compassion. This is what's flowing through me because this is what God is pouring into me. It's a great verse, Romans 8.1. If you know Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation. None. I don't have, I don't stand as a condemned man. If you know Jesus, neither do you. Let the gospel flow through you to other people. If judgment is flowing through to you, you've got a log. You've got sin. Put your stuff on the table today and say, God, this is my sin. I'm repenting of it so that the gospel can begin flowing through me. We're going to celebrate uh, communion here in a second. And when you come up uh, for communion, I have a gift for you. This is your plank, okay? This is as big as I could get for you. But as you come up and uh, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or juice, say a prayer giving thanks to Jesus that he was without sin and was sacrificed for you, for me, so that I could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life with Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian. Trust Jesus with your entire life, with your soul. He forgives you. He brings you into peace with God. And as you say thanks, giving thanks to Jesus for going to the cross and, and being resurrected on the third day, as you leave, take a stick. And on the stick, it just says simply, do not judge. Put it somewhere where you'll see it. Tape it on your refrigerator, put it in your car, put it somewhere in your Bible where you'll see it every day. It's just a very simple reminder. I'm not that guy anymore. I will not cast my stone of judgment, condemnation on other people. I will cast nothing but grace and love and favor and blessing. Can you imagine if you replaced every critical judgmental thought with a prayer for that same person? Maybe that person would actually come to know God. Why? Because you started praying for him and stopped judging him. I sit, I'm with you on this. I'm not like preaching, preaching to myself just totally judge someone from Dunkin' Donuts, I feel like I need to go back and apologize. Take a stick as a simple reminder that this is not you anymore. You are not a judgmental person. Why? Because Jesus has given his grace and his love in you. Let it flow through you. Father God, we give thanks that you are good. We give thanks, Jesus, that you love us, that you forgive us. And Jesus, I give thanks that you didn't throw a stone You didn't throw a stone at her, and you didn't throw a stone at any one of us. But you threw yourself on a cross to express how much you love us and to make it possible for us to know God the Father, now and for eternity. God, I pray that if there's any one of us, and I'm guessing there's 
a lot of us. I pray we'd repent of the sin of judging other people. And we would be the most gracious, most loving, most kind, most caring, most compassionate people because that's what you've given to us. God, I pray that we would let the gospel work in our lives and flow through us to those around us. That people would meet Jesus. A Jesus who did not condemn and throw stones, but a Jesus who saved. As you guys are ready, come and celebrate communion.